Well, it's great to see everyone. Thanks again for being here at Grace. And we are starting a new series. Before I jump into that, uh, just there's some family news that we have. I, uh, Pam and I have another, and also the Wookiees, I don't think they're here for this service, but have another grandchild, Brianne and Jake had, had another girl, Caroline Grace. So Caroline Grace Wookie. So I'll, I'll tell her you applauded for that. All right. So, and then also just some more news that I wanted to keep you aware of is we had talked about uh, uh, our orphans. We take care of uh, 57 orphans in Thailand. And then part of that, uh, as our, our church supports them uh, totally, and we actually uh, were able, to, with some of the funds that we had accumulated from our church, build a soccer field there. Um, they, they, we don't have a lot of space where there's two, orphanage, two orphanages, but uh, we were able to put up these retaining walls and level the ground. And, uh, and so I just want to thank you for that. It's, it really turned out great. You could tell this must be brand new because there's still grass there. So, you know, that's, that probably won't be there when we, when we get back, but uh, did a great job with that. We're excited that those, the boys at the orphanage, they play soccer constantly. And the girls who are trying to play other things around the soccer field keep getting pelted by soccer balls. So hopefully the fence and everything... That'll help. So again, I thank you, appreciate you for uh, taking care of our kids, not just with the necessities, but then some additional things that just helps them to uh, enjoy life even more as they follow God. So we're in a new series, Dumb Things That Smart People Believe, and we're going to start with something that, that's kind of a little iffy, and that is this, forgiving is forgetting. I mean, we hear that all the time, forgiving means forgetting. Is that right? Well, yes and no. We'll actually talk about that a little bit. Forgiving, is that, does that require forgetting? And the problem with this statement is some people, when they experience something really bad and they know they could never forget it, then they, if this saying is true, then they realize, oh, well, then if that's true, I could never forgive it. If I can't forget, and I know I'll never be able to forget this, then I can't possibly forgive. You know, that's kind of the issue. Some of you know that a couple of weeks ago, Pam and I took vacation, and we went out to Colorado. We went camping, and we were really gutsy this time because we took our two oldest grandparents children, uh, both four, almost five uh, cousins, and we took them along. And so I was a little intimidated by that, didn't know how that was going. You know, two four-year-olds driving across country to Colorado, camping and driving, would that intimidate you? Well, it intimidated me. But it actually, it went great. I mean, it couldn't have gone better. You know, every day, I think we just hit the kids at the right age because they're not old enough to know what, what they're missing, what else they could be doing. You know, so we're driving in the car all day, and they're like, this is great. And then, you know, we're like, hey, today we're going we're gonna to get a, a campground and sleep in the camper. Whoa! You know, and the next day it's, hey, we're on the interstate. We're going to get a campground with a swimming pool. Whoa! 
And then we finally get to Colorado, and it's like, today we're going to camp in the mountains where God intended people to camp. Yay! You know, every, every little thing was fun, and we just had a great time. One thing happened, though. Uh, while we were, I think it was our second night, we realized that we had lost a set of keys. Before we left, I actually made Pam a set of keys with all the camper keys and the trunk key, totally separate from her keys, and I gave that to her. You leave your keys home. Just take these keys. These are your keys. Always have these keys with you, and, and we'll be good. And then second night, we realize we don't have the keys. And so we're, it didn't ruin our trip or anything, but you know how it is? Like for three days, you're kind of preoccupied. Where can the keys be? You know, and when I, and I say we lost keys, they were Pam's keys. We lost, it was her keys that actually got lost. I, I just want to make that clear. So her keys got lost and we, we were kind of looking and working those keys be and we were checking them. By the way, I'm at, I'm at this campground off the interstate and you know how when you go on a trip, you're thinking, wow, what did I forget? Did I, for, you know, I'm, I'm retracing our steps, seeing if I could find the keys but as, at, through the campground, places that we went. But then I'm thinking, I'm also thinking, wow, I wonder if we forgot anything. We haven't got to the mountains yet. I wonder if we forgot anything. And then I'm walking through the campground between all these huge Winnebago motor homes. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? They're huge. And I'm realizing, oh, I know what I forget, my house. I mean, I didn't bring my house with me. But uh, we're, we're looking around. And then about the third day, we, we, we started giving up. And, you know, and basically, while we're looking, Pam said, you know, I didn't have my keys. I think you put them somewhere. And I'm thinking, and that's possible, but I'm thinking, I have my keys. You know, my, there's no, I didn't say this to her, but I'm thinking, my keys are right here. It's your keys that we're looking for. But I didn't say that. You know, so uh, we were like, and finally, you know, and she was like, I'm pretty sure I didn't do anything with these keys. I think you did it. And uh, you know where this is heading, right? And then like about three days in, we can't find them. And she's finally like, oh. I feel, I feel bad. She finally says that I lost these keys. And then I'm like, well, it's not so bad, you know, this, this. And then I, I do have one place to check. And then I found them in my duffel bag. So, so, so then, because up until that time, I was working off the premise that you know, and I was asking questions based on, without saying it, she lost the keys. You know, like, well, where did you go after that? Well, then did you take your purse there? You know, I'm asking those kinds of questions without accusing her of losing them. The whole time, my premise is, yeah, she lost these things. And then it was, it was me. I set them on my duffel bag one night. They, they fell in, you know, and the next day we, we realized they were gone. It was all me. So because of that, I felt like I needed to ask forgiveness. Forgiveness. Hey, Pam, I'm sorry. This was all on me here. I was thinking it was you the whole time. And she forgave me and it was all good. But so now does that mean that next time we're looking for something and I'm thinking by my, and she knows by my questions, well, Pam, where were you? And then and then she's thinking, hey, I didn't lose these. You probably set them somewhere. So is she not allowed to think, hey, this bozo accuses me all the time when, when I, when I lose, he loses my stuff, you know? 
Or can she not think that? Well, that's what we're talking about. Do you have to forget when you forgive? Now, here's why this is a little tricky. Because God has told us that when we, uh, through Jesus, get forgiveness from God, it even says in Scripture, He remembers our sins no more. But hang on. Does that mean God is not aware of our sins? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we remember something God can't remember. He's omnipotent God. We can't know something God doesn't know. So what that means is when God says he remembers our sins no more, it's this. He remembers our sins no more as far as taking action against our sins. He remembers our sins no more. He forgets our sins in the sense of not holding it against us, not taking righteous action against us for our sins. He lets them go in that sense. It doesn't mean he can't remember that what we did. And then it's kind of the same with us. So if that's how God forgives, maybe that brings up a few questions on forgiveness for us, how we should forgive, or, or just answers a few things for us. And so here, here's the first question I think we need to think about. And the first question is, why forgive? Why forgive? There's one reason everybody needs to learn forgiveness, and if you're a believer, there's two reasons. But the why forgive is simply this, because we are all flawed. The other thing that happened on the trip is as we were going, uh, dropping down from Nebraska, Ogallala, down past Sterling, uh, into Denver, when we're on that stretch, that's a pretty lonely stretch of road on I-76, and we're going along, and we're rolling, you know, about 75 miles an hour, it's 96 degrees, which is nothing new to us, right around here, right? And, uh, and then I have a flat tire, just like Tim talked about a few weeks ago. Had a flat. And it was interesting, because before I left, my brother... Monty, out in Colorado, said, Kevin, you need to check those tires. And I'm like, man, I looked at the tires. The tires on that camper look great. He goes, the tires on all RVs look great because we don't drive them that much. You need to really check them out good. And so, you know, I'm looking at the sidewalls. They look great. And so, sure enough, though, I'm going blowout. Blowout on the interstate. I happen to be in the left lane. There's hardly any traffic, though. Get it over the right lane. And then... Change the tire didn't take that long, but then we had to go into Brighton next town and get a spare because now I didn't have a spare and I didn't trust the other tire that looked good because I know, yeah, that'll probably go because it's identical to this one. It took us a couple hours to get a spare, but here's the deal. Tires that look good aren't always so great. They're actually flawed, and that's exactly the way it is with us as people. We can look like we're squared away on the outside. But we're actually, all of us, we're flawed. We all have issues in our heart. And because of that, when we rub up against each other as believers, when we rub elbows, when we interact, whether it's at work, in family relationships, whatever it is, there are always issues that come up. And because of that, we've got to be able to forgive. And when we forgive... That fixes the relationship. Because when something happens, because we're all flawed people, it sort of breaks the relationship. 
Like when I'm thinking, Pam lost these keys, and she's thinking, I don't think I lost these keys. There's something there. It's not, in that case, not serious or anything, but when, there's a lot worse things that happen, right? And then the relationship is kind of broken. We see this in our kids all the time. Our kids will be disobedient, and then we'll call them out, maybe punish them, whatever we do. And then they're sorry. And have you ever noticed with kids, a lot of times, sort of the punishment's over, but they'll come up and kind of give you a hug, or they'll, you know, and it's like, it's like, anybody with me on this? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, three of us understand, but... And then, you know, we give them like a hug. And then it's like, I think what that signals to them is, oh, everything's okay now. I, I paid the price, and now everything's good. Yeah, everything's good. It, let, since you guys don't seem to get the child thing, let, let's go with animals. Even our dogs do this, right? You know, you catch your dog doing some of your dog. You know, I don't think dogs really experience remorse, but it sure seems like they do. You know, they slink around, and, and they kind of look at you with those eyes like, eh. You know, they, they know they're in trouble, right? By the way, cats never do that. But dogs do that sometimes. It's because we, we, there's this sense that we need to fix, restore, fix the relationship. Because relationships get broken. All relationships need forgiveness. And the closer the relationship, the more forgiveness that's needed. Marriage. Got to have forgiveness. The best marriages are between two world-class forgivers. Friendships. You want close friendships? You need to get forgiveness down. And Jesus says this is especially important in the church. You've got to have forgiveness as you come together and unite as a church family. As a matter of fact, there's this classic passage in the Bible, Matthew 18, I think it begins in verse 15, where he teaches us how to restore relationships. And this will sound familiar to some of you. That's where it says, you know, if you have an offense against somebody, you know, that they've done something to you, then you need to go and tell them privately. You need to let them know, hey, you messed me up. That wasn't right. You wronged me in some way. And then normally that'll fix it. They'll hear that. No, I didn't mean to do that. And, and everything's good. But if that doesn't work, Jesus says, then you grab one or two other people, some mutual friends, so you can go and approach that person again and try to fix this relationship. And then if they refuse to listen to them, then you get your church, and all this is about brothers and sisters implying that they're in the same church family, and then you go get your, another brother and sister from church, you come tell it to the church or the leaders of the church, whatever, and then they try to fix it. And then if that person is in the wrong and refuses to even listen to the church, then you treat them like a non-believer. That's, that's what Jesus taught. And he taught that to the disciples. And the disciples are all catching that, and they realize Jesus is big on forgiveness. But then they start asking, well, okay, what if this happens over and over? What if some... Some jerk not only wrongs me, but he wrongs me again and again and again. And so they're wondering this, and that's when G Peter comes to ask Jesus a question. We have that recorded in verse 21, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him. And then he throws out a number, up to seven times. It's interesting that he throws that number because if you do a little you know, historical survey there, there was actually a rabbi that Peter was probably familiar with at the time that said, hey, you forgive somebody the same offense like three times, but the fourth time, no forgiveness. And so Peter, he probably heard that three times. He, he knows Jesus is big on forgiveness. He's learning about Jesus. Jesus is probably more demanding than this other rabbi. So he doubles what the rabbi said, three. He goes six, and then he throws in another one, you know, just for good measure, try to get that seven number, whatever it is, seven times. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus hits Peter with, and by the way, and sometimes you'll see in your Bible that'll be 77 times. It's a really hard phrase for that number to actually interpret from the Greek. But the point is not the number. The point is Jesus is saying, don't, it's not count to this number. It's without limit. Forgive without limit. Don't keep track of the count, just keep forgiving. And so that was pretty big. And you know, the disciples were probably like, wow. And Peter's like, wow, seven wasn't even close. And then they're all probably standing there trying to absorb that. And then Jesus tells them why. And to tell them why, he uses a story, what we call a parable. So this is a pretty famous parable. Most of you probably have heard of it before. It starts in verse 23, next verse. Jesus starts just telling them this story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So, the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. Have patience, and I'll pay it all back, he's saying. Verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, could you imagine this slave? He's confronted, and this, and this slave or servant is a high-ranking government official because he owes 10,000 talents, which is an amazing, amazingly huge sum. You know, and it's hard to convert talents to dollars today, but 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of 150,000 years of a day's labor, which would be a denarii. So one denarii, 10,000 talents would be like 150,000 years for a day labor to work off. So impossible sum. And then the Lord says, forget it. You know, the guy's got to be going, what? Forget it. What do you mean by forget it? You're, don't worry about it. I canceled the debt. 
don't worry about it all. You're free. Go on your way. And the guy's got to be like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you're going to sell me and my wife. And, and basically, all the king's doing there is he's cutting his losses. He knows the guy can never repay this debt, so it's cut the losses. Take the guy's whatever meager assets he has. Sell him and his wife and his kids into slavery as partial repayment. You know, kind of that kind of a deal. And now all that, he's erasing everything. And the guy's out of there, right? And he's got to be celebrating like it's, it's, it's his best day ever, right? Best day ever. And then it continues. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, about four months wages. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. And, and what's happening there? You know, there's no bankruptcy or anything like that in those days. They had something called debtor's prison, not a great system, which is you throw them in jail until they pay you. But a lot of times all their family would come together and make that happen. Verse 31, so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all, all that happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, so the Lord calls this guy back. Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Okay, now, Peter and the disciples are hearing this story, right? As Jesus teaches why we should forgive. And about this time, Peter, as the story unfolded, Peter's recognizing, oh, the king in the story. Oh, the king represents God. Easy. But then as the story unfolds a little more, Peter realizes, oh, I'm in this story. Bummer. Because I'm the slave that's been forgiven this incredible national debt-sized debt but don't want to forgive somebody else the eighth time. And he's going, wow, sorry I brought it up. Because he understands what Jesus is teaching here. And hopefully we're understanding something too. Because it's not just Peter in the story. All of us as believers are in this story. We're the slave that's been forgiven this incredible amount. So why forgive? First question we're dealing with. Well, first of all, because we're a flawed people who sin against others and, and we mess up relationships, so we need forgiveness. But there's a second reason, and this reason is for believers, and this is what Jesus is talking about. As Christians, God requires us to forgive our brother, our sister, who is asking for forgiveness. Now, being forgiven 
isn't exactly forgetting. What's happening here is the forgiven isn't being forgiving. And so the other slaves in the story, they report back, and then this guy's in trouble with his master. And the king punishes him. And after receiving the punishment, he's actually worse off than he was when he owed the debt, which is huge if you think about it. And then at the end of the story, there's this sobering comment by Jesus. So Jesus tells a story, and then he caps it with a verse. And this is really interesting to me because, you know, people picture Jesus in all different ways, and I think a lot of people today picture Jesus as sort of a, you know, a nomadic kind of hipster, cool guy who dispenses a lot of love and, and warm, fuzzy vibes. But Jesus tells this story, and then after the story is over, Jesus says this in verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. This is a scary verse in Scripture. This is sobering. This is huge. Now, please understand, because we have the rest of the New Testament. He's not saying that we earn salvation by being forgiven. And he's not saying we lose our salvation when we don't forgive others. He's saying to refuse forgiveness that your brother or sister is asking from you, to refuse that forgiveness is a sign that you never really sincerely received forgiveness from God. Because when we do really truly receive forgiveness from God, it changes our hearts. We are different people. And we realize that we have lost the right to withhold forgiveness from anyone because God has forgiven us everything and He's telling us to forgive our brothers and sisters. I know some people are, are probably thinking, well, hey, I've never refused to forgive. I, I, you know, I'm kind of ticked off at somebody. I'm out of relationship with somebody. But I didn't do what Jesus said. I've never refused to give forgiveness because they never asked. That doesn't work. Because Jesus just taught before that story, if somebody has offended you, you have to take the initiative. You have to take responsibility. You have to go tell them, wow, you did this and that really hurt me or that damaged me in some way. You don't get a free pass because they haven't come to you. You have to initiate. If you've never told them that they've offended you, you have no right to hold a grudge. This is the standard. And, and if this is the standard, we probably ought to ask a couple more questions. If that's the why forgive, then the next question is, well, then how do we forgive? And kind of through this passage, we, we see three steps. First of all, the king felt compassion. 
That word compassion, anytime Jesus felt an emotion in the New Testament, most often it was this word, that Jesus felt compassion for people. Because it's interesting. People think he's the cool hipster, but yet he's talking about the wrath of God. But yet he has compassion on people. But he's telling them if they don't get some things right, especially their relationship with God, they will face the eternal wrath of God. So first step is we feel compassion. And the way we feel compassion is we put ourselves in their shoes. So if you're having trouble forgiving somebody, if you're holding a grudge against somebody, especially somebody in the church, or, but it could be any other Christian, and then by extension, anybody. If you're having trouble forgiving, then here's what God wants us to do. And let me tell you, I know from personal experience, this works. Go take a walk. Go get alone. Go up to your bedroom or your closet or wherever you need to be free of distractions and start remembering all the things that you've done wrong and all the things that God has forgiven you of. Just, just do the life walk. Play the rewind. You know, just, just get the whole thing. Just let your life go throughout the years and see what I always see is God's love all through my life. But don't just see that. See all the ways that you don't deserve that love. All the things that you've done against God. All the things that God had to forgive you for. Which came at great price, the death of Christ. And as you go through all those things that you've done, all of a sudden we start realizing that the offense that's committed against us is mine, is asking us to forgive in this instance. So first, feel compassion. Second, the step on how to forgive is forgive the debt. You know, both slaves, the, the slave, the original slave, and then the other slave that owed that slave, you know, they both came saying, have patience with me. What, what they're saying is, please forgive me. I'll repay everything. Now, for that last guy that was choked, there was probably a pretty good chance he could pay that off. It was four months' pay. Not easy, but in a few years, because he has to feed himself, he'd probably be able to pay that off. But the 10,000 talents, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. And so the forgive the debt, what makes that tough is when we use the term like you owe me an apology, it's, it's kind of a good terminology because we're saying, hey, I've been offended. I think you owe me something. You, you've created a debt and now you owe me. Maybe you've damaged my name, damaged my reputation, uh, took some money that you shouldn't have taken, so you damaged my finances. Whatever it is, you did something and now you owe me. Now, that, that doesn't mean that that's always right and you can't have a conversation about that, but that's the whole premise. I think you owe me and that's breaking our relationship. And by the way, we can only grant forgiveness when we've actually suffered some type of loss. I mean, it could be reputation and, and all that. It could be our name. But if, if somebody comes and they say, hey, and this happens a lot. People come and say, hey, uh, forgive me for this and this and this. And, and, and if you're like me, you're standing there going, what? Well, you know, I probably, forgive me, I shouldn't have done this and this. And, and you're going, oh, no, that, that's fine. 
Ah, that didn't offend me. No, I didn't even think about that again. I've not even given that another thought since that conversation, you know, or since I found out or whatever. Well, in that case, we don't say I forgive you. We say, hey, there's no reason for you to ask for forgiveness. There's no debt. You don't owe me. Hey, we're good. We are good. Don't even need forgiveness. But if they have damaged us in some way, if we are smarting, if we have been hurt, if something is up, then we say, hey, well, I appreciate you saying that. I forgive you. I forgive you. Just like that. And so it, we feel compassion. We forgive the debt. And then maybe the last thing we could throw in, because Jesus talked about us, so we don't want to leave that out, is we stop keeping score. You know, we release the person. We stop keeping score. That's the, no, not seven times. Seven times 70. It's unlimited. You don't keep count. You let it go. We don't have to exactly act like it never happened. We just have to never hold it against that person again. It's not amnesia. It's not forced forgetting. It's, it happened, but I'm not holding it. But for us to have maybe, so I forgive you so you don't owe me, but if you want to restore the trust that we had before this happened, well, depending on how serious the nature of the offense was, that might take a little time and accountability. So time and accountability restores trust. Forgiveness can happen pretty quick. Although when we ask forgiveness, we need to give the person a little bit of time to think it through. If it's serious, maybe a, couple, a few days. But normally, forgiveness can happen on the spot. But if you violated trust and it was serious, okay, the trust doesn't, them not trusting you in the same way tomorrow is not the same as not forgiving you. They can, they can say, no, you don't owe me, but also say, but I'm going to put in some barriers where this doesn't happen again unless I see some change or, well, that's time and accountability. That brings back tr trust. And then there's the last question, well, then how do we receive forgiveness? How do we get forgiveness? Well, first of all, we have to admit that we've done something wrong. You know, it doesn't really work when somebody says, hey, uh, you hurt me, and, uh, and, I'm at, you know, and, and so you owe me an apology, and then we say, and we're, we're just kind of totally not getting, hey, well, all right, forgive me. Okay, I'm forgiven. That doesn't exactly fix the relationship when that continues. That's when you say, you know, I'm not getting it. I don't know how I did, I don't know how I hurt you. And that takes, because maybe if you don't think you did anything, maybe you didn't do anything. And so you need to talk that out. Maybe that other person will say, oh, I, I took that totally wrong. No, I, I, we're good. So sometimes it just requires a bit of a conversation. But we take responsibility for our wrongs. We don't have to apologize for something that we didn't do in interpersonal relationships, but we do take responsibility for our wrongs. And then when we, after we take responsibility, then we ask for forgiveness. Oh, oh, I did that. I didn't even, I, I didn't even mean to do that, but I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We take responsibility, and then we ask. Now, that's what we see in the story. Notice 
the servants, really both servants, but, but the main servant that we're talking about here, he doesn't ask for justice, right? Because he knows justice will not help him. He's guilty. So he asks for something else. He's, he's asking, when he's asking for patience, he's asking for mercy. He's not saying, you, you owe me time. He's saying, no, please. He's asking for mercy. He's, he's, that's what he's wanting. And, and that brings up another thing that happens in our culture all the time is when we're confronted with us doing something wrong, when somebody points out we're doing something wrong, we have this strong temptation, all of us do, to blame other people. Well, you know, I would have never done that if this and this and that. You know, we blame shift. It's just a natural thing. It's the tendency of all of our hearts is when we have issues, we blame other people. That's not taking responsibility. Christians should be the last people to blame others because to even be a Christian is to know we are deeply flawed people. It's amazing to me. I mean, blaming others, it doesn't help anyone. Blaming others when we do something wrong, it never helps. It's like our students you know, kids, back in the day, kids went to school, you know, when I was a kid, and if they got in trouble at school, they got in trouble at home. There's been a shift there. I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't know how close you are to any teachers. But today, when a kid gets in trouble at school, they come home and tell the parents, and the parents takes the child's side against the teacher's side. And 99% of the time, that's wrong. And by the way, when you do that, you are not doing your child any favors. You're teaching them that even when they're wrong, they can blame somebody else and get people to buy it. You're hurting your kids when you do that. Kids need to know the moral reason they're wrong. When, when kids come home, wow, I got in trouble, it's so unfair. We need to say, well, you know what? Your teacher is the authority in the classroom. You have to go by her or his rules. If the teacher says, stop talking, stop. And if you don't, you're in trouble with them and you're in trouble with me too. We take responsibility. We ask somebody to forgive us. And then we give them a little time. The most important forgiveness we could ever receive is forgiveness from God. That's what it means to become a Christian. And it's the same way. We have to take responsibility for our sins. We have to admit it. Because a lot of us don't want to admit that we've done something wrong. And when we do, it's always the environment or this or that or there's a thousand reasons or my parenting or whatever it is. And, and no, God, you know, I didn't really do anything wrong. I did the best with what you gave me. No, we've all done wrong against God. Take responsibility. And then ask for forgiveness. And if you ask with a sincere heart, God will give you forgiveness. He will ad adopt you as a child into his family. He will never leave you, never forsake you. Nothing can ever change that. And when that happens to you, you will have the heart and the motivation to forgive other people when they've sinned against you because God 
has forgiven you everything and he commands us to forgive. And when that happens, when you seek forgiveness from a sincere heart to God, it's the best day ever and cause for celebration. Let's stand. I'm going to close in prayer. The music team's going to come out and Aubrey's going to lead us in a closing song. But before that, let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we are stunned, amazed, dumbfounded at the amount of forgiveness that you've poured out on each of us here who are believers. And we don't deserve it. And it was costly, the death of your son who voluntarily gave up his life to take our place, to be our substitute, to die, to pay our penalty. And Father, we thank you for that greatest gift. And as we reflect on all the ways that we've sinned against you, God, it softens our heart to forgive others. Lord, especially if they're asking. Help us to forgive. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us, telling us the truth about who we are and what we've done and loving us all through that. God, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.